Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. Well, good morning, church. For God's sake, how many of you heard that phrase? John 11, who's for God's sake? And many of us in life, we ask why, why, why did that happen? And this week, a friend that I've got to interact with, he is, let's call him Chine, is his nickname, Chine. He grew up kind of in a, like a wayward kid a little bit, but his dad was part of a church for 30 years, and he really liked his dad. He watched his dad be the church guy, to be faithful, to live at the foot of Jesus' cross, is what he said. And Chine's dad got sick. Then Chine, they weren't sure if Chine's dad was going to make it. Then when they found out he might make it, he could possibly be a vegetable after that. And guess what Chine said? God, it's okay for you to do it to me. I haven't followed you real well, but my dad did. Why? Why him? It's not fair. And Chine said, I was mad at God. Why? Mary and Martha get to ask Jesus the exact same question today. Why? And I love the Bible. Do you know why? Because it's so stinking real. How many of us have asked God that question in the last day, two days, or even in life where things have been horrible? Why? What are you doing? We get a front row seat this morning of two ladies who ask Jesus why. Turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. We'll start in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, a village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. We're always taught in English literature to look for the thesis statement. What's the big idea? Boom, there it is, in the sermon. What does Jesus say? They pray to Jesus and say, hey, the one whom you love is ill. And we know that there's a lot that went on with Jesus, Mary, and Martha, and Lazarus. They were good buds. So they pray to him. They send a message. The Lord, the one whom you love, is ill. How many times have we prayed this? Lord, Jesus, One that you love is ill. 
Why? What's going on? And what's Jesus' response? Verse 4. Hey, this illness will not lead to death, but it's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And this is why we read and sang John 9. Because remember, the disciples say, Jesus, why is this guy blind? And Jesus says, to glorify me. That the works of God might be displayed in him. Are we okay with the idea of being born blind and then wait about 38 years later and then Jesus heals you and you can see all for Jesus' sake, all for God's sake? So when you're praying for your brother who may be dying, is on his deathbed, and it's a good blood of Jesus, and they pray to him and say, hey, the one you love is ill, and he responds, it'll work out for my glory. We okay. We're all like that. We like that. If they're healed. If the bank account balances. If the car is fixed. If they make it through the week, if the struggles in the week are reduced, we're okay with Jesus getting the glory. And you all know what happens to Lazarus. She doesn't. Jesus lays the foundation for the rest of the story right here. Lazarus is sick for Jesus' sake. Lazarus is sick for Jesus' sake. Move with me to verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will get better. He will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant that he was taking rest in his sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. Verse 15, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. So that you may believe. But let's go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go that we may die with him. That Lazarus died for the disciples' sake. Jesus loves Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. It says so in the Bible. So if we're going to believe the Bible, just believe. Okay, so he loves his friends. Ta-da, good. So he waits two days. What's the definition of love? To see a need, meet any need, and expect nothing in return. Right, GCBI students? He sees a need. Hey, the dude's sick. He's going to meet that need. I want to wait two days. No, 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 no. I've got a need. You need to meet that need when I want you to meet that need, Jesus. You're going to wait two days. The dude's going to die. That ain't love. That's procrastination on a divine level. What? 
guys, get this. Jesus says, hey, I'm glad that he died. Who says that and says, I love you in the same sentence? Jesus. Why? So that when you see this, you too will believe. Lazarus is going to, Lazarus has died. I know this somehow, Jesus says. He's God. But we're going to go. So Jesus makes his intentions known to go back to Judea. And remember, he's been threatened to be, they tried to stone Jesus twice now. And I like the disciples too, man. I would have said the same thing. You know, that cool thing with you getting away from being stoned was really cool to watch, but you're going to go back? Are you silly? Are you dumb dummy? Are you, are you out of your mind? So he's dead. Okay. No, the first thing is Jesus, he's falling asleep. So the disciples are like, then he'll get better. We don't need to go. That's crazy land back there. No, guys, he really died. Okay, he's dead. Bury him. We can stay alive up here. It'll be good. Reduce the conflict. No, fellas, if you want to follow me and you want to see more what I'm like, come on with me. I will shepherd you in the valley of death where they have died. You will watch me shepherd through this time. And by the way, it's going to be crazy risky. I like Thomas. Well, let's go die with him. You gotta love it, man. Because these, there wasn't a 12, there wasn't 11 that stood up when Jesus was gonna get crucified a little bit later. I'm gonna spoiler alert. But you gotta love the guy. Let's go down with him. Let's get in the car and go back there. Yeah. Or they're taking side bets. So, how's Jesus gonna get out of getting stoned this time? But they're gonna go back, and the guy has died. And for whose reason has Lazarus died now? Who's Jesus say? Pretty explicitly. It's for y'all's sake. I love somebody. I'm going to meet their need when it's most opportune to meet that need so you can believe in me. Not the most opportune time for these two ladies, but for you all. I'm going to wait two days. Martha and Mary have no idea that Jesus is going to use Lazarus' death for their sake. Would it be okay for your relative to be sick to die for somebody else's sake? And a bunch of hotheads. You got Thomas there. And you know, Lazarus, Mary and Martha were friends of Jesus, so obviously the disciples were there. John doesn't tell us how that family would go okay that my brother is on his deathbed, dies for you all's sake. You bunch of group of crazy Galileans, you fishermen, you tax collectors, for Judas. I'm all right with Matthew, but that Judas cat, my brother's going to die for somebody who's going to deny Jesus. So Jesus is going to work in such a way that life and death is for his sake. Lazarus was sick for Jesus' sake. Lazarus dies for the disciples' sake. Move to verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. 
Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives, believes in me, shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Lazarus dies for his sister Mary's sake, and sister Martha's sake. This is really personal. When Jesus returns, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. We're talking stinky, nasty, rotten, bloated, nasty death. When John does his miracles and he recites the, the miracles that Jesus did, they weren't nearly plausible. Almost could have happened. No, these are incredible miracles of God-sized proportions. What is the term wake for? When you go to a wake, anybody ever heard of going to a wake? They put people on a door, right? And we have a wake. Now, as I was growing up, I never understood why y'all called it that. The dude's dead. What are you waiting on? And I was told, they're waiting for them to wake. You don't want to bury a live person, right? This is at the end of the wake. The dude ain't coming back. He ain't sleeping. He isn't unconscious. He's stinking, nasty, rotten, dead. And Martha goes up to him. Leaves Mary seated in the house and goes to Jesus. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here. She asks the real deal question, doesn't she? She makes a heartfelt lament. Could you, you hear her saying, God, how could you? Could you not hear my request? Didn't you get the message? Didn't you get the email? Didn't you hear my prayer? Where were you? How many of us have asked God that very same question? We prayed. We got in a group. We even held hands. God had to have heard us because I believe a prayer exists and God can hear me. Well, here she's living with Jesus. Her friend is Jesus. She sends a message to him. Where were you? If you had been here. You could have healed Lazarus. She has seen, heard, and looked at what Jesus has done. She's had a front row seat to a blind man getting his eyes back. She knows Jesus can do this. If that was your brother that had been ill and now has died, would you have said the same thing to the God of the universe when he walked up? I will. You could have saved us a lot of pain. Can you hear her saying that? If you had been here, we wouldn't have all this pain. I believe in you, Jesus, yet your response hurts me. Ladies, if you put a request in for somebody to come and they take an extra two days to get there, are you a little bit torqued? 
Lunch is at noon on Tuesday. Well, I'll show up on Thursday because it's going to be better. What? It's her brother's dying and Jesus waits an extra two days. Sure enough, she ran out to him. If you had been here, your lack of response hurts my unbelief. But Martha continues, but even now I know, but even now I know. Even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. This is a real deal faith statement. The first one's a real deal heart lament. This is faith, but even now. What in the world is your even now today? Okay, you got a lady whose brother has just died. I don't know if anybody in here has lost a relative this week. But whatever it is that you're walking through that you've prayed to God and he has not answered your hind end. He has not picked up the phone. He has not responded in a way that you demand or the way that you hope or the way that you say, if Jesus, you respond, my faith will grow. But even now. But the even now. What is your even now that you're going through? That you can look back to God and say, okay, Jesus, this isn't going like what I kind of thought. But even now I know. This is a real deal faith statement. Jesus sees her need and can meet her need. And she's aware that he has the power to do so. And only the definition of his peace is recognizing that he has the power to do so and he has her in his hand. Your timing is okay. I can have peace because I know you really do love me. I know that I don't know what it's all the dots are for this situation. But even now I know. Jesus says to Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha says to Jesus, yeah, I know, on the last day. You've been to a funeral where we make this kind of same statement? Well, I'm sorry that so-and-so has died. Oh, well, they're, you know, they're mowing grass in heaven. They're good. They're looking down now, and it's going good. We come up with these platitudes. Yeah, that's what she's saying to Jesus. Well, I know he's going to raise on the last day. We're all Jews. We believe that kind of stuff. You ever met somebody that doesn't respond well to platitudes? Like hit you right back between the numbers? That's what Jesus does. That's true, Martha. That's true. I am the resurrection and life. You got that part right. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. You're right. Faith in Jesus is eternal life. It's what we were taught as kids in Sunday school, right? Believe in Jesus, have eternal life. I'll cash my check when I get there. Whoever believes in me who lives, Jesus said, not dying, shall never die. Faith is now, Martha, in the circumstances right now where life hurts before eternity. Do you believe? What's her response? She's given him a platitude. She's given him some cool doctrine. She's given him a little bit of, yeah, I know. Yeah, I hurt right now. I know he'll raise from the dead someday. Jesus, laser beams right in there. Do you believe right now? You're right, but do you believe now? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, 
the Son of God who is coming into the world. The heart-riching situation brings about the cold, hard situation. Martha knows that Jesus can, but he didn't. He could have, but he chose to stay away. She asked the same question we like to ask, but God, you love me. I know this, yet I sit here today hurting. Jesus ratifies her amazing faith about eternity, but then redirects this faith to her current situation of her dead brother right now, right in front of her. Will she believe in Jesus? Yeah, so do you believe? What do you say? Even now, what God's taking you through, do you believe? Jesus asks her this before raising Lazarus. Faith believes God is working his plan for his glory while allowing him to tell his story through you. Faith isn't the result of believing in Jesus, my brother will rise. Faith is, do you believe me now? Right now, even now, today. Faith believes that God is working for his plan, for his glory, while allowing him to tell his story through us. He's God, we're not. He understands the plan, we typically don't. After interacting with, Mars, with Jesus, Martha returns to her sister at home and gives her the good news. Gives her some good news that Jesus is in town. Pick up with me in verse 28. When Jesus had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here. He is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also keep this man from dying? Lazarus was ill for Jesus' sake. He dies for the disciples' sake. He dies for his sister Martha's sake. Now it's Mary's turn. After interacting with Jesus, Martha returns to her sister at home. Can you see Martha running back in the house? Mary's sitting there. And she says, the teacher, Jesus, is here and he's calling to you. He's calling to you. He's calling for you. Just stop here a second. When we're dealing with grieving people, we're dealing with people and they're even now, whatever that is, are we problem fixers? Oh, well, just put a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and it'll get better. Are we great advice givers? Job was going through a really tough time, and three numbskulls show up to try to give him advice. And we got the vast majority of the book of Job is bad advice. What does Martha do for Mary? What's the first thing she runs in the door and says? 
By the way, the flowers have arrived and our professional whalers are doing a fantastic job. What does she do? What's the first thing in through the door? Jesus is calling you. Do we redirect people from their, in their moment of grief to those to him who can deal with it? Or do we try to take center stage, try to fix it, try to be the healer, try to be what God was trying to do in her life? I, this is amazing. The first thing through the door is Jesus is calling for you. Are you going to respond? Mary jumps out and runs running out of the house. And those who are around her run after her, supposing that she's going to the grave. Mourning, weeping, stricken with grief, grief, Mary finds Jesus and falls at his feet and prays or asks, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Echo of her sister. Reasonable echo, isn't it? Again, you can hear her crying out to God, death hurts. This is not right. You could have done something. Jesus sees her tears, her pain, the pain of her friends, their neighbors, their co-workers, and Jesus is deeply moved this morning. Move with me to verse 33. Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit. Deeply moved. Jesus is royally ticked. He's blistering mad. The word in the original has something to do with the, the sound a horse makes when it gets mad. Snorts. He's spitting mad. We like the Jesus wet part because that makes it an empathetic event, but what if, what's he so smoking mad at? Maybe it was his fellow friends are in pain and he's trying to be empathetic. I don't think that's necessarily all it. He's the God of the universe. He knows what he's going to do here in a minute. He wouldn't be so smoking mad because the guy's temporarily dead. Maybe he's smoking hot and mad because the sisters have accused him of divine procrastination. They've hurled accusations at him. Not sure that that necessarily rings the bell. Maybe he is smoking hot and mad because they are mourning, they are weeping like those who have no hope. First Thessalonians teaches to do not mourn for those who have died like those who have no hope. Are you really weeping like this because there's no hope in your life? I think Jesus is so smoking hot mad because as the creator of the universe, the creator God that we worship, he didn't create his world to be like this. The world is broken and there is sin and death. In this context, we have a man who dies and who will be raised again for other people's sake. Draw the, bring the dots pretty smoking close together. Who does this sound like? The story of Lazarus. Jesus himself. He could be so smoking hot and mad over the enemy who has lied 
who has brought this into the world, and we have chosen to follow a path of sin and death, and he's fired up to get his way to the cross, firmly resolved that this battle is going to be finished. But in all honesty, John doesn't say explicitly why Jesus is this mad. What's the point? He's found himself in a situation where he's going to work in Lazarus's life in such a way to bring glory to himself. Don't forget that. So Jesus asked the logical question, where have you buried him? They said, Lord, come and see. Then he weeps. The emotional discharge of whatever the sum of the why, why he was so mad, the sum of the situation, he cries. Our Savior cries. Fellas, if you were ever taught that grown men don't cry, I'm so sorry for you. That's the way I was raised. And that was not good. Those that you love need to see you cry. Those around you need to see the tears of empathy with others. They also need to possibly see your anger over a situation that's not as it should. Do you understand what I mean by that? But Jesus wept right there in front of everybody. The fickle crowd, some attribute Jesus' tears for his love for Lazarus. Yet some say, look at this guy. He can heal a blind guy. He couldn't have fixed this guy. I ain't believing him. The account of raising Lazarus from the dead is the biggest miracle in the book of John. It is the most condemning miracle to have seen if you were there. Four days and raise somebody from the dead. And people are going to say, well, we saw him do the something with the blind guy. He couldn't help this guy get healed, so chalk it. But Jesus does interact with Mary. Lazarus died for Mary's sake, but Jesus interacted with Mary. His relationship with Mary brought her out of the house and into society. Look where Jesus deals with her. Is it in a nice, comfortable bedroom, or is it a nice, comfortable kitchen table with few people around. Where does he bring her to deal with her pain? Where does she deal with Jesus with her pain? In public. We hate that as Americans. I can deal with my grief all by myself on Facebook maybe, but I ain't going in public. She runs to Jesus, asks Jesus the hard question while the world is watching. They see her faith in motion in the midst of life's greatest struggles. Lazarus died so Jesus could work in Mary's life in front of people. We allow Jesus to do that with us today. We can have our struggles. Can we take it to Jesus? Is Jesus there and able to take care of it? But Jesus, you want me to deal with this in public? No way. Our struggles, however born in private, personal matters, are like lights in a dark world. The world wants to, that's the way the world can see how you react, how you interact with your God during that dark time. Obedience to Jesus means he deals with us to show people his craftsmanship in us in the midst of a dark world. By the way, the struggle that you're going through isn't all about you then. The world to see. Mary, come out and see me so we can deal with this in front of everybody. 
I don't think she would have liked that postcard, but sometimes in the struggle, we'll run to Jesus and people will see us in public. Go with me to verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been there four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Lazarus died for his sister's sake, Martha. Still emotionally fired up, Jesus goes to Lazarus' tomb, or basically like a mausoleum, a cave with a stone up against it, and he gives the order, take away the stone. Martha reasonably says, Lord, he's going to be stanky. Real, real stinky. Jesus says, hey, uh, didn't I not tell you? If you believed in me, you would see the glory of God. He's going back to their previous conversation. We went through this before, Martha. Verses 21 through 27. That ended there, remember, with, yes, Lord, I believe. He's going to cash that check. We're going to work on your belief. Right here in the front of the mausoleum with a dead dude inside for four days. Do you still believe? Remember, her hope was on a future resurrection. Her theology, her doctrine, her coping mechanism was, I'll see him someday. And Jesus is like, no, now. So he's standing in front of the mausoleum. Do you believe now? What are you talking about? Do you believe me now? This story isn't about the future, Martha. It's right now. Against all the rationale, all the science, all the facts, do you believe me right now? Take away the stone, he says. And then he prays. He talks. He calls his father. Father, I know you hear me all the time. He says, but on account of what? Why is he talking out loud? Because Father only hears Jesus when he speaks out loud? No, it's on account of the people, on account of the audience, on account of this tragedy happening publicly, accounting of the, on account of this, those hurting, those mourning, those weeping, those watching a family mourn, them. Can you look at him and say, not about you, Martha. It's not about you. It's about everybody in this room. It's about everybody in the front of this mausoleum. Those who are questioning their mortality at this time. Those who are questioning the reality of their faith. Those in the midst of the craziness of dealing with life's great stresses. It's them, Martha. It's not just about you. And he says to the Father, that they may believe that you sent me. Lazarus' death, burial, and upcoming resurrection, resurrection is all about what? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Is Jesus the real deal? Is what he says is true? That's faith. Do you believe he's real? He was a real deal, and what he said is true. So what does he do? Do you believe me now, Martha? Okay, Father, let's do this so they can all see. 
They can all see, so they'll believe that you sent me to be their savior. And I love this. In, your, in English, it says, he uh, called him out, Lazarus, come out. Literally, you can translate that. Here, outside. There are two screams, loud. Kind of like when you're upstairs getting in trouble and your parents yell for you, you turn here. So all this passion is built up with him. Here, outside. The God of the universe who spoke the world into creation speaks two words and a man comes back to life. In the time, it was cool to they would do these fake little magic shows or something, you know, that we could chant all this stuff. When you get going at it good enough, get the rhythm going, maybe we can have a good magic show. Jesus, counterculture, yells two words. Here, outside. Here you go. Two words. And the power of God brings life. So we finish, look at verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and seen him, what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to him, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation also, but to gather into one children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? Think you will come near the, not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given an order that if anyone knew where he was, he would let them know so they may arrest him. Many people believed. John, in our accounts of what Jesus has done, has recalled those miracles, and it's some believe in the exact same context. Some take that information and go in disbelief. This morning, which side are you on? Is it ratifying your belief, piquing your interest, or is it saying, hey, Jesus, I believe? Or are you going to be like the Pharisee, those who run to the Pharisees and the chief priests? So they have this big powwow, and they're like, what are we going to do now? He's healed a bunch of people. He's raised somebody from the dead. What are we going to do? If we let this continue, our, civ- our religious world will come crumbling down. They will believe in him as the Messiah. And if they believe in him as the Messiah, all the Jews at the time thought that the Messiah came as the reigning king. And the Romans will take away our little, little country that we're, that's kind of not going really well. We're not doing a good job. There have been some revolts. And if we get this Messiah complex dude that comes in and people believe in him, the Romans will take our governing authority away. Because this group of men were also the governors of that little territory as the Romans led them. So they're going to lose people to believing that he is the Messiah. Then they're going to lose their governance. What are we to do? 
What's the ironic answer? Kill him. And you get, do you understand the rationale for killing him? It's better for one person to die than we lose the entire country. Friends, we hear this a lot. It's the last episode of MASH for you that are older. Is it okay to kill one to save the group? It's been debated for centuries. Why do they want to kill him for self-preservation? It's okay to kill one if we save the nation. Can we put one guy in the electric chair if we're guaranteed that the whole city of Ocala will be safe for a year? They would line up and do that in a heartbeat. So the chief priests are like, kill him. Was Lazarus' death an accident in God's eyes? Is Jesus' upcoming death going to be because they took it from him or he laid it down? We've been through this. It's because he lays it down, right? Their intent is to kill him out of whatever moral code they're coming up with. Jesus is going to lay it down. The hard news of what Mary and Martha went through for their brother, whatever illness he had, it led to death. Now we set at the end of this chapter, Jesus is going to be murdered. If there's one thing we don't like is injustice, and you take a life that isn't deserved, that's murder, and they want to murder Jesus. My friends, they're going to murder in their minds Jesus, and God says, that's good. I love you. Wait three days. What's missing in this story? Any logical person to hear this story, what's missing? I got all these characters, Mary, Martha, Jesus. I got the disciples. Lazarus is dead. Lazarus comes back to life. What dialogue are we missing to write a book? Who doesn't say a word? Lazarus. You're going to write a historical account of the greatest miracle that Jesus did? And you're not going to interview the guy who came back to life? Anybody else find this intriguing? Or am I the only skeptic in the room this morning? I'm reading this. I'm like, what? John, how come you didn't interview Lazarus? At first, I'm like, what cool things did he see? Or how torque is he to come back? But what was his part? What did he say? Jesus? My life and death is for your sake. That's a party play. What is your answer? Is your life and death for God's sake? Will it be willing to, for him to tell his story even in the midst of those struggles? And notice... When the girls are asking the real deal, hard life question, they never get rebuked from Jesus. What does your life say? What part are you playing? What does it mean for your community to watch your life and say, wow, look at that played out? Maybe it's not like Lazarus, because that'd be kind of cool. You know, Frank, comes, Frank dies and he comes back to that, but like four, years, four days later and we get the interview. It'd be all over the Ocala Star Banner or whatever the newspaper is. 
But if you go from spiritual death to spiritual life, what is your life saying? What is your testimony saying? What is your story saying? Does God have this authority in your life? For your family member, for your friend, for your kids, for those you know, God, it's okay. They can be sick. They can die. As long as you, you know, you've got the plan. To you be glory. We're okay. Sometimes it's easier to say death because that's succinct. But in my life, it's hard because that's a duration. You can only die once unless you're Lazarus. You know, is it all right to use my life for the next X years? How does the world see us interact with tragedy? Remember, where did, my, where did Jesus deal with the ladies? Where did the, where did the crescendo of the story take place? It had to take place because he did this at the mausoleum, at the tomb, at the cave, right? But where did he draw the women to? Public. Tell my story in the public. When we deal with life like this, where is your world taking place? Where is this happening? Is Jesus allowed to take your faith public? When tragedy comes, are you allowed to go public? Do you allow yourself to be taken public? Let's go public. With the joy, with the tragedy, with the good news of what Jesus does, what he has done, tell your story. Tell his story. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.